Alright guys, if you turn in your Bible, if you're not there, to Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. And we'll just begin by reading the passage. Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. <clears throat> Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, <coughs> what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Let's bow in prayer. Father, Lord, we just come to, come into Your presence today, God, and we want to hear from You, Father. Lord, I just pray that You will that You will assist me in communicating Your Word, and that You will assist all of us in receiving it. Help us to be good listeners today, Father. We pray that that Jesus Christ would receive all the glory, that He would be glorified and that You would accomplish Your will in each one of our lives. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, love for our enemies is the title of the message. Love for our enemies. Uh, many, many things should mark us as Christians. When we think of a, what a Christian is, there should be many things that should define a Christian. For example, uh, we should be known as people of faith, right? People who have faith. That's a good thing. Uh, we should be people of repentance. Uh, I forget who it was, what, what country it was, but they were known as, the Christians were known to the unbelieving world as the repenters. So that should describe us. Those who have faith, those who repent, those who have hope. As Christians, we should be known as those. We should communicate these things that, that we are people who have hope. We are people of the book. You've heard that saying before. That should describe us as Christians. We should be people of prayer. All of these things, yes and amen, but love is at the top of all of it. Uh, we should be known as people who love. Who love. Uh, it should be at the top of the list. Love for God, first of all. That's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God. Love for one another. This should describe us, right? What did Jesus tell His disciples in John 13? I think it's 34. By this, the world will know that you're My disciples by your love for one another. So, we should be known as those who love one another. And can I say this, guys? That I see that here. I really do see love for one another here. Um, I see that in our church. And just to let you know that that, that blesses me greatly that I see your love for one another. I see, I see your love for truth. 
I see your love for truth growing, and I see your love for one another. And so that should mark us as Christians. But it doesn't even stop there. We should be known not only for love for one another, but love for the world. Amen? Love for the world. Love for people that aren't in our little group. Right? Love for other Christians who aren't in our church. But love for the world. Love for the title of our message. Love for our enemies. We should be known as those who even are able to love our enemies. And as we're going to see, that's a... And you guys know this if you walk with Christ. That's supernatural. That's not a normal thing. That's not a natural thing. But that's what we should be known for. We should be known for those who love the world, love the enemies, love the lost. Amen? We should love the lost. If you don't have a love for the lost, check your heart. Really, if you don't have love in your heart, right? The Bible says, uh, you know, God is love. It's only those who truly know God are able to truly love in this sense. And so, we need to, we need to love one another. We need to love the world. We need to love even those, as we'll see, who are our enemies. And I would say this, this whole idea of love, I think this is a very important, this is a very practical sermon. Okay, This is not deep theological stuff, but I would say the whole idea of love, I guess you could say for us, uh, us who would wear the badge of being reformed, I think this, this is um, very much needed in these camps. Sometimes we can, and, and it, we can get so, so focused in on doctrine. And, that, and it, obviously, that's very important. But if we're forgetting love, guys, we've missed, we've missed it all. So it doesn't matter how much we know. If we're not known by the way that we love because we know the God who is love, then um, we, we, we just need to reorient things in our life if we're not walking in love. As Justin just read, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, on your bulletin, if you, if you follow the outline, I have a question for you today, which I do at different times if I think it's uh, helpful. And so the question is just simply this. What does Christian charity or, or love, charity, that's what the old timers used to call it a lot, Christian charity. What does Christian charity or love look like? That's what we're going to seek to answer today. What does this look like practically in our, in our life? Specifically towards those who the Bible says are our, are our enemies. And, and can I say this? I'm not trying to contradict the Word of God. In a sense, they're really not our enemies. I'll explain that here in a minute. Um, they may be God's enemies, but they're the mission field. But obviously, Christ uses that word, so we'll explain what that means, really. But the first thing we're going to see, what, what does Christian charity or love look like? First of all, it's love. Uh, look like my wife forgot a word here. It's love instead of vengeance. So that's what... It, it's love instead of vengeance. I didn't look at that close. She comes and shows this to me, and I didn't proofread it close. <laughs> but that, yeah, that first point, it's love instead of vengeance. Okay? And obviously, that's, that's an obvious statement, right? Christian love should be love and not vengeance. But that's what the first point is. It's love instead of vengeance. Verses 27 through 31. Verse 27, he says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. So in verse 27, he starts it off by saying, and remember he had all kinds of people in the audience in this Sermon on the Mount, um, speaking directly to his disciples, but with others listening in, he says, but I say to you who hear, that's an important statement right off the bat, I say to you who hear. You know what that means? You know, Christ, He's saying, I have something very important to say. <laughs> and obviously, anytime Jesus Christ would speak, He has very something very important to say. He has something worth hearing. And, and I would ask you today, guys, and this is every time we, we gather, we sit under the Word of God, do we have ears to hear what He would tell us today? Let's have ears to hear. Oh, that people would listen to Christ. And so the first thing He says, He says, I tell you, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Who, who would be our enemies in this text? As you, as you see the context, guys, it's just simply people who don't treat you well. That's what it is. Okay. It doesn't even mean in the sense that we view them as enemies. But the context of this is those people in your life who maybe are difficult people who maybe don't treat you well. That's what it means really by enemies in this context. And he says to love them. Love your enemies. This word love is agape love. Okay? It's a choice to love. Okay? It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's a choice to love. That's what, that's what this word love is. He says love your enemies. Listen to what Matthew says in his account in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor. Now if you read that verse, guys, if you jot that verse down, Matthew 5.43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor. Okay. Now that part of the verse is a quote from the Old Testament. Okay. Matter of fact, we read it in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor. But the second part, He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not from the Old Testament. That is from the Pharisees and their tradition. That's why Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said. In other words, you guys have been taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what what Jesus says. But then in verse 44 in Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies. Okay? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So we must understand that. That part of that is Old Testament law. Part of it is just the tradition of these Pharisees. Okay? So he's correcting them. Again, we read it earlier. Uh, or no, we didn't. I read Exodus. I'm sorry. But Leviticus is something very similar. Leviticus 19. 18. Really, this whole idea of loving your neighbor, even loving your enemy, is nothing new. Okay? It's nothing new. The God of the Old Testament didn't teach his people to hate their enemies, and then here comes Mr. Jesus and he changes everything. No. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance. Do you hear that? There's our point number one, even in the Old Testament. You shall not take vengeance, but you shall love your neighbor. As yourself. You guys remember the verse we uh, looked at when we were going over the, uh, the teaching on the Hebrew Israelites? You know? Because they say they're the Israelites and the, the white people are the Edomites. And they, they say 
that they're, they're called to hate the Edomites. And in Deuteronomy, I think, I think it's Deuteronomy 23.7, he literally gives the command, love the Edomite your brother. So we're to love our, even our enemies, even in the Old Testament. Um, so this first one, guys, in verse 27, he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. At the end of verse 27. This is really just loving with our action here. Do good to those who hate you. Very practical command, right? Do good to those who hate you. Loving with our actions. I think Proverbs uh, chapter 25, verse 21 gives a very clear example of what that means. It's, it's so practical, guys. Listen to Proverbs 25, 21. This whole idea of loving with your actions, those who hate you. Doing good to those who hate you. Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. That's pretty simple, is it not? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. That's not an exhaustive list. Those are just a couple of examples. Those who, those who are your enemies, those who are mistreating you, those who hate you, are we to hate them in return? No. We're to show acts of kindness. So who comes to your mind, guys? Who comes to your mind, this whole idea of your enemy? Somebody who may be difficult in your life. We all have these different people that come to our minds in our different areas of life. Who would it be? That you're like, man, it's just hard to be kind to that person. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It may be feeding them. It may be giving them water, but it could be a myriad of other things, acts of kindness. That's simply what he's calling. Those people who hate you, we're to be kind to them in return. We're not to retaliate. We're not to take vengeance. Remember Christian charity, Christian love, what does it look like? It's love. It's love. It's, it's deeds of kindness, not vengeance. In verse, so the first one we see, it's loving with actions in verse 27. In 28... He says, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. This would be loving with our speech. Loving with our words. See, we love with our actions. We love with our speech. I tell you how you can love somebody with, with, with actions and speech. You can feed them a hamburger and share the gospel while they're eating. They, you know, it's kind of hard for them not to listen when they're eating a the hamburger you just gave them. <laughs> Obviously, that's just kind of a silly little example. But, but we're to love. We're to love not just with our actions, not just with deeds of kindness, but with our speech. Bless those who curse you. Is it not so tempting to curse those who curse you? <laughs> Guys, that, that's, um, our flesh wants to curse right back. And I was so good at that before I knew Christ. I had a tongue that could... I could stand up to anybody with my tongue and, and I, could, I could outdo you <laughs> in the whole cursing. My wife's nodding her head. She has seen glimpses of that every now and then. <laughs> but that's, that's who I was before Christ. I, I could be very, very sharp with my tongue. And Christ is not... He is calling us away from that. We are to bless people with our speech. Proverbs has much to say about that. Proverbs 15 verse 1. A soft answer... A gentle answer, what? Turns away wrath. Have you guys ever seen that in your life? Oh, what a, what a powerful thing that is when somebody is abusing you with their, 
with their tongue and just um, and, and just a kind word. Again, these proverbs are not promises. It's not a guarantee that if you're kind to somebody with your speech that they're all that they're going to melt with kindness. But many times it happens. I have seen it. I have seen it. I've been on both sides as a Christian on my job with difficult customers. I have let my flesh win before, and I have, and I have, in the heat of the moment, went right back at them and had to come back and apologize. And other times, maybe I was walking according to the Spirit a little better, and I responded kindly, and, and, and so many times, it diffuses the whole situation. So, soft answer turns away wrath. That's just one way we love with our speech. Pro- Proverbs 15.23 how delightful is a timely word. Again, it's loving people with our speech. It's knowing, it's not only being kind and gentle with our speech, but having discernment. Knowing what to say, when to say it. A timely word. And then Proverbs 8.21, we've all, we're all probably very familiar with this one as well. The tongue has what? The power of life and death. We can tear people down. We can destroy people with our tongues. Or we can build them up. These are all examples of how we love with our speech. And this is what we are called to do. This is what we are called to do. Love with our actions. Love with our speech. And then in verse 28, pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This would be loving with our hearts. Loving with our hearts. Maybe the person is not even, you can't even physically be around them. Okay? Uh, maybe it's somebody, maybe it's somebody, because he says pray for those who mistreat you. Maybe they've mistreated you. Maybe, uh, maybe there's been violence involved and you can't even be around the person. For whatever reason, you have to keep your distance. They're not around. But what he's calling us to, guys, is to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. Have you guys ever done that? Because I can promise you this. And this is specifically praying for what? Their salvation. It's hard to hold on to bitterness and these ill feelings when you're praying for somebody's salvation. I've experienced that many times. What happens when you're praying for your enemies? What happens when you're praying for those who mistreat you? Does God not begin to change your heart towards that person? Absolutely, He does. So we're to pray for those. We're to, we're to be kind to those with our actions. That could come in a myriads of ways. We're to bless those with our, with our tongues. We're to build up. We're to be gentle. And we're to always be praying for these people. And guys, obviously it takes God's grace. It takes God's grace and God's Spirit to do these things. You guys know that. This is not me saying, you guys, we need to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. and No, we need to be seeking Christ. And He will fill us to obey His Word. And then in verse 29, we're still on the first point. It's love instead of vengeance. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. This is not to be taken in a wooden literal sense. This whole, when, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Just to show you that, let me read, a, you can jot this down, John 18, John 18, 22 through 23. 
So just to know that Jesus is not teaching you to be a punching bag, okay? They strike you on the right, turn to the left. Listen to John 18, 22 and 23. Actually, I'm going to go up to about verse 19. This is when he was arrested, okay? The night of his arrest before his crucifixion, standing before the high priest. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? What does Jesus do? Does he turn the other cheek and say, All right, now strike this one? No, he doesn't. He answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if rightly, why did you strike me? So he's not talking about literal turning the cheek. This whole language. Also in Luke 22.36, to this point is where He commanded His disciples to buy a sword, purchase a sword. Why? Self-defense. There are times in life. Jesus was not a pacifist. He's like, guys, get a sword. There's times you'll need it. For self-defense. So, before we go any further, just understand all of this language, because these things get misinterpreted a lot. All of these dealings, he's, this is talking about personal dealings and personal relationships. He's not calling... He's not condemning the governing authorities who are established by God to punish evil. Okay? So just that we know that that's not what any of this is. This is what this is in verse 29, guys. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. This is talking about an attitude that the Christian is supposed to have. We're not to have an attitude of retaliation. That's what he's teaching here. We're not to retaliate. When we're mistreated, we're not to retaliate. This is a picture of being insulted. Now, in that, in that culture in that day, a backhand across the face, that was an insult. And so this is, he's talking about when we are insulted. When you are insulted, don't retaliate. Let them insult you. When we came to Christ, we gave up those rights to be returning evil for evil, right? We gave up rights to insult others. When we're reviled, when Christ was reviled, what did He revile in return? No. And He is our example in 1 Peter 2, I believe it is. We're to be, that, that's our example. When we're reviled, when we're insulted, we're not to revile in return. So that's what all this is. Spurgeon says this, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. That keeps it in perspective, does it not? So the next time you are insulted, <laughs> it's not easy in the heat of the moment, I understand. Okay? All of these are hard. All of these require the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is what we're called to. We are to be imitators of Christ. It's hard, guys. It's hard because that's, that was where I was... I hate to say it, but I was so good at it <laughs> before I knew Christ. If somebody insulted me with their tongue... At the very least, I was going to insult them back. And I was going to win. And so God is really... This is, so this hits my flesh. And so, but it, through the power of the Spirit, obviously, uh, he, he enables us to do this. So next He says, Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him. Guys, just let them have it. <laughs> Don't, if somebody's in desperate need, just let them have it. Don't fight them. We're Christians. Okay, this is very practical stuff. 
Listen to Paul, and uh, I'm going to turn there. I don't have it written down. Paul in Romans 12. He just he he really just sums up a lot of this language in Romans 12, 19 through 21. Never take your own revenge. Right? That's really the point of number one. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know, that was an ancient Egyptian, Egyptian custom. Where a person to show their contrition would carry a, 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 a pan of hot coals on their head. That's what they would do. And the burning coals represented the shame and guilt of his behavior. So that's what Paul is alluding to. Our kind behavior, guys, when we're mistreated in these, these just myriads of different ways and we respond in kindness, our kind behavior, does it, does it, it's not a guarantee, but it has the potential to bring shame on a person who mistreats us. And that's the whole, sometimes that's the whole idea when somebody, when you, when you give them a soft answer and you're kind in return, and it like, it like rocks their whole world. You can see it. It's that burning coals. Whether they even know how to express it or they know what's going on, they know they were wrong in the way they treated you. And what a testimony that is to Christ. What a testimony that is to to the Christian life. You guys heard of Richard Wormbrand? So the founder of um, Voice of the Martyrs. I know I told this before, but many of you weren't here when I did. But uh, that that documentary on, on his life, Tortured for Christ, that you can watch if you haven't watched it. He was in a Romanian communist prison for his, his um, basically a stance on Christ. He stood up to communists, the communists. And he was tortured. That's the name of the movie. Tortured for Christ. Starvation, uh, physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse. And there's a scene in that, in that show that I remember that struck me really to this point. There was a certain guard that really mistreated him, abused him severely. And he had been in this place for a long time. By now, he's skin and bone. And that, and that guard was walking down the, the hallway and he looked through the iron door, through the little window, and he sees Wormbrand in there praying. And in a mocking tone, he's like, we've taken everything from you. What could you possibly be praying for that your God would hear you? And he just says, I'm praying for you, sir. And the look on that man's face. I don't know what happened to that guy, but he was... His whole world was rocked. Like, what kind of love is this? That I've treated you this way and you're praying for me? That's that's the heart of all of this language, guys. That's what Christ is calling us to. In verse 30, He says, Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Again, this is not absolutely literal at all times, guys. He's not saying every time you see a panhandler... (laughs) Okay? Then you need to give all the money you got to them. <laughs> You're going to have a bunch of wealthy thieves out there. That's what he's calling us to. No. We're to use discernment in these things. For example, here's a way, here's a way that, I've, that I have failed 
I, I, I don't want to say failed because we're we don't we're not all knowing, but but as far as when we because we have to use discernment when to give, what to give these type of things. Um, when I was down at Houston last spring at the Final Four, we're preaching in downtown Houston, and um, I wasn't preaching at the time. And this I mean just thousands of people. That's why we're down there preaching. And this 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 guy comes up to me, and man he had he he he. He fooled me. He really did. He, he gave me this story. He, he was, him and his wife were out of gas. They had to get back to such and such, another state, because uh, he had a job waiting. I mean, he had a whole spill. And I listened. He was quoting scripture. He was blessing me in this and this. It sounded very genuine. So I gave him some money. Okay? And I don't regret doing it because I know what my motive was. Well, <laughs> and then I'd watch him he'd go to other people. But, oh, and he even got his wife on the phone. And she participated in it. Oh yeah, honey, we're parked over here by McDonald's and if you can just get over here and get this gas money, we can make it back. Oh, God bless you, sir. So I, so I did, I gave to him. <laughs> Two days later, we were down there like three days. We were in another part of the city. The same guy walks up to me with the same skit. He forgot. He goes, sir. And I was like, I did give to you two days ago. <laughs> and he just had this look like, oops, <laughs> I, I got caught. So I knew at that time, yeah, he duped me. But obviously... God knows our motive when we give. So what I'm saying is, is this is not to be taken in the absolute literal. Anytime somebody, hey, you need to give to me, just man, we just give them everything we have. That's not what he's saying. But what this is saying is the spirit we need to have. There needs to be a readiness in our hearts to be generous. That's what Christ is calling us to. I would say this. If you're going to err, err on the side of generosity. Okay? Because God is looking at our motive when we do give. We should never withhold giving to somebody in need out of a love for possessions. Okay? That should never be the reason we don't give. Okay? He says, Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. In other words, guys, let love be the t- determining factor of of when we give and what we give, not selfishness. That's what he's calling us to. So for the for the panhandler is just an example because there's just more and more of them. Let love determine what you do with that person. See, in my because I've obviously I drive a lot. I'm in the city. I've dealt with these people a lot. Let love determine what you do. In other words, love for that person says, you know what? I'm not giving that person money. Because nine times out of ten, they're going to spend it on something that's harmful. But what, would, but what could you do in loving them? Hey, if, if that's something you see, if, if you're in an area where you see that often, then put some bottled waters in your car. Put some snack packs in your car with a gospel track. And you can be loving your neighbor. So, because those are basic needs. Everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs water. But I would say, you know what? Because I love you, I'm not going to give you this money that you're asking for. So, that, so we have to use discernment. He says in verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. That word give, it, it means have a habitual attitude in our hearts. It's a lifestyle. We should be generous. That's what Christ is calling us to. Generous. We should be generous, not to people, just people in our little group, but we should be generous when we see people in need. If we have the way to help, we're called to help as Christians. Amen? Very simple, basic stuff. 
Because why, why should we be such habitual givers? Think about what we've been given. We've been given eternal life. We have been given forgiveness of sins. We have been given an inheritance in heaven. And Christ is calling us to model that to this world. To be givers. To be givers of ourselves. In verse 31, really verse 31 sums it all up. This is really all we need. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Can I tell you guys how to apply this list? I can tell you right now how to apply this list. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Make a list. Sit down. Take 15, 20, 30 minutes and write down all the ways that you want to be treated. And there you go. There's your answer. I've done this before and it's very convicting. Kids, how does God want you to treat your siblings? Or maybe a difficult neighbor, a difficult friend? Kindness. Check your list. <laughs> After you write your list and God brings somebody difficult into your life, maybe your brother or sister. <laughs> how does God want me to treat them? Well, I'll look at my list. This is how I want to be treated. How about that difficult neighbor? We've all had them, right? Difficult, maybe difficult employee that you work with. How are we to treat those people? Get your list out. You'll be amazed when you start writing things down about how you want to be treated. You'll have a big list. <laughs> That's how God wants us to treat others. That cranky relative. Get your list out. That rude customer, Jamie, back when you worked. <laughs> Get that list out. That's how we're to treat other people. Matthew Henry says, put our souls into their souls stead. You know, that whole, that whole idea, if we knew what people were going through, there may be a reason why that person's so rude. We're to put ourselves, we're to put our souls in their souls stead. And, this is, and we're to pray for grace. Because it's only by God's grace, it's only by God's mercy and grace that we're able to do these things, that we're able to love that person. It's easy to say it. Sounds good in a sermon. But when you're in the moment, your brothers and sisters aren't around for encouragement. You're stressed maybe on the job or, or this person is driving you crazy because they're so rude, so disrespectful. Get your list out <laughs> and offer them kindness. Praise God. He says, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Praise God that, that He doesn't deal with sinners. He hasn't dealt with sinners the way that we've dealt with Him. Amen? If God dealt with sinners the way they dealt with Him, we'd all be in hell. <laughs> he would say, nope. I'm going to treat you the way you've treated me. But praise God, He has given us what? Mercy. He has given us mercy. And that's what He's calling us to. We're called to mercy. We're called to love. Agape, unconditional love. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Sometimes the feelings will come afterwards. Sometimes they don't. But that's what we're called to. Not vengeance. Amen? That's point number one. The other two will be quicker. 32-34. Secondly, what does Christian charity or love look like? It's, it's love not like the world's. In verse 32-34. It's love <coughs> that's not like the world's love. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Right? That's easy to do. Oh man, they love me. It's easy to love those who are nice to you and love you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So we'll just stop there for a sec. Those verses are basically saying the same thing, guys. It's love. It's not like the world's love. You know, you could go down to the local bar, and those guys are going to love one another the way the world loves one another. They're part of their group. I got your back. You go to the biker game. You go to the, you go to the Crips and the Bloods. They're going to care for one another in their group. That's the world's way of love. That's natural love. Right? The most hardened sinners, and I'm saying generally speaking, you know, they, they care for those in their family. These type of things. But you get outside of the group. See, we're not to be moved by self-interest. In other words, if you're part of my clan, if you're part of my group, I love you. I got your back. Or, if you scratch, you know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine type of deal. That's the world's way to love. That's the natural way to love. That's what Paul meant when he says, love does not seek its own. What he means by that, love does not seek his own only. We are to love ourselves, but it's not to stop there. We're to love our neighbor, we're to, our love's to go to all people. God's calling us to a higher standard. See, that kind of love is just common, natural, worldly love. It's natural. It's natural for the human race. And so what, what is all this that we are speaking of, guys? It all comes from the love that we have received from God. That's the only way we can love the way Christ is calling us to love. This is impossible to carry out apart from Christ, apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Apart from being a Christian, this is impossible. This should tell the non-Christian, you can't do it. You have failed God's law. You have not loved your neighbor as yourself. Just these commands here, they're impossible to do. We all fall short. But because God has saved us, we now love God and we love others, right? Because He first loved us. And He freely chose to love us. Why did God freely choose to love us? Because God is love. God is love. And we're to be like our Father. We're to be like Him. We're to imitate Him. And so now, like our Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we freely choose this agape love. We can freely choose to love others. Even those that are not in our group. That's the difference with this love. Even our enemies is what He's calling us to. The love of the world is natural. The love that He is calling us to is supernatural. Amen? It's supernatural. I had a guy years ago, I told this story before, but to this point here, I had a guy on my job that I did. I failed. I came back at him sharp with my tongue. And the Holy Spirit just was convicting me. And I had a chance on my day off to go to his business and apologize. And I, and I told, because he called my office and told on me. And I told my boss that I wouldn't apologize. My boss said, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that's, you see, that's the, the world. It, that makes no sense. Why would you do that? He had it coming. But Christ calls us to something supernatural. And He gives us the ability 
to carry it out. Love others. That's what he's calling us to, guys. Love others even if they don't love you. You know what? I'm willing because I love you. I'm willing to give you. What's the greatest way we can love somebody? Give them the gospel. I'm willing to give you the gospel even though there's a good chance that I'm going to receive the pushback from the world that we talked about last week. But because we love our neighbor. That's what Christ is calling us to. It's not for what we can get. Yeah, I'm going to give to you because I know you can give me something in return. No, it's just because I love you. Because you're made in the image of God. Because I've been called to love. God has loved me. And now I have the ability and I want to love you. I want you to know my Savior. And the greatest way to demonstrate somebody who a Christian is is not by your, all, the, all the theology you know. That comes in helpful. That's helpful at times. But it's, do you love them? Not a mushy, gushy, squishy love, but are you willing to love people with action, to love people with your words, to love people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 34, he says, If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? We really kind of already covered that. He's repeating himself. Um, even, or no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, if you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. So he's not saying, again, he's not saying that it's always wrong to loan, okay? For example, our, our, my mother-in-law has loaned us a large amount of money here recently because we have to do more house repairs for mold. She's just keeping us from having to go get a loan. So she's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, don't you expect this money back, Kay? That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking about generosity here. A generous disposition. If you're able to help somebody who's in desperate need, just give it to them. Don't only give to somebody only if they're going to return what you give. That's what he's saying. This should be the attitude of our hearts. It's loving those who don't love us in return. Guys, point number two. That, that's the difference between Christian love and the world's love. Okay, He's saying if you're able, if somebody's in need and they don't have the means to repay you, just give it to them. Help them out. Okay? Loving those outside of our group. And then third, our third point, it's love what, what does Christian charity, what does Christian love look like? And I've, I've really been saying this throughout, but it's love like our Father's love. That's what it is. It's not like the world's. It's like our Father's. And there is a big difference. Verse 35 and 36. But love your enemies. There it is again. Love your enemies. Hopefully by now you can see who our enemies are. Those who mistreat you. For myriads of different reasons. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. That's, that's what I meant by while ago. That we, we already looked at that in the previous verse. Um, and, and so the second part of this verse, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Isn't that beautiful? So let's look at the first part of that. Or the middle part of that. You're, he says, 
Your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. Nobody knows exactly what he means by that. Your reward. Some of it, I think, is in this life. Definitely in the next. Just the, just the inner, the joy, the inner satisfaction of being obedient to God is reward enough to know that you're obeying Christ. The blessing, right? The blessing of giving. More blessed to give than receive. That type of deal. The grace that comes with it. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says about this. He says, The general meaning of these words appear to be that no man shall ever be a loser in the long run by deeds of self-denying charity and patient long-suffering love. At times, he may seem to get nothing by his conduct. He may appear to reap nothing but ridicule, contempt, and injury. His kindness may sometimes tempt men to impose on him. His patience and forbearance may be abused. But at the last, he will always be found a gainer. Often, very often, a gainer in this life. Certainly, most certainly a gainer in the life to come. So the reward. We will have a reward. Many times it's in this life. The joy, right? The joy that passes all understanding of the Christian life. The joy of walking in communion with Christ. The joy of obedience. The joy of giving. The joy of being able... Even the world understands that in a sense. It feels good to help people. But how much greater when you're, when you're doing it in the name of Christ. Your reward will be great, beloved. Your reward in this life. Your reward in the next. Definitely. And then he says, after that he says, your reward, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. I think you guys know what he's saying and not saying. It doesn't mean you live like this and God will make you into a son of the Most High. No, he's just saying you will... You'll prove that you are. You, you will show the world the family resemblance. This is who my Father is. I love you because Christ loves me. I'm a rebel. I was a rebel. I was in the devil's army. Giving God the middle finger and He saved me. I want to tell you about Him. It's loving like our Father. It says He's kind at the end of verse 35. He's for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Are you glad? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I fit that category. I was very ungrateful. That's the way God in His Word describes the unbelieving world. Very ungrateful. Ungrateful for what? The air they breathe. Ungrateful for the food they eat. For the relationships they have. For all they have. Ungrateful. He is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And Paul says in Romans 2 4, or do you, he says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That was in one of the songs we sang. I was making note of that. I forget which song. I think, yes, I think it maybe his, I forget which one, but he was talking about this. Uh, just his, his patience and His kindness as we roam. We just roam. We're roaming away from God. We're, we're living in sin and God was patient with us. 
Church, we need to tell people these things. We need to remind people. We need to remind people how patient God has been with you, sir. You realize how patient He is with you. How kind He is to you. You hate God. Have you thought about everything that God gives you? Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have. Your next breath is a gift from God. The God that you curse. He even, he even uses the word tolerance. Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance? Do you know God tolerated us because of His patience? He could have cast us into hell. All the angels in creation would have applauded Him. And that's what will happen. When He condemns the wicked, He will do that which is just. We will worship Him for it because we will understand His justice then like we can't now. The angels will rejoice in heaven. The angels rejoice in one sinner repents. But everything that God does is good. There is no injustice with God. And He will be right in the condemnation, the condemning of the wicked. He tolerates sinners because of His patience and His kindness. And it's what leads us to repentance. Oh, may we be those found faithful in communicating that to people who need to hear it. That God is being patient with you. But His patience will run out. Right? Paul Washer said, one hand, God is motioning the sinner to come to Him. And the other hand, He is holding back His wrath. And one day He will drop both hands. And the wrath of God will come upon sinners. Like a dam of a lake and the water surging. So let's look at verse 36 in closing. It's love like our Father's love. Be merciful, He says, just as your Father is merciful. Matthew says it this way in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful. It was part of His Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember the emphatic pronoun. For they and they alone shall receive mercy. It's only the merciful who will receive mercy in the end. Because who are the merciful? You see, it's the heart that's been made new by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, who now has this desire to extend mercy to others. It's those who have received the mercy of God that were able to extend this mercy to others. You see, it's the individual who has no mercy in his heart towards others. He is demonstrating that he has no saving knowledge of the mercy of God. The person who is, who is unable to be merciful to others. It's the person who is still self-righteous. The person who in their self-righteousness says, I don't deserve judgment because I'm so good. And they don't deserve my mercy. See, that's the, that's the thinking of the world. But the Christian who has received mercy, we understand mercy. So we're to give mercy to others. It's not a matter of whether they deserve it. That's the point of mercy. We didn't deserve anything good from God. Nothing good. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We don't deserve the next meal we have. I hope when you guys pray for your food that it's sincere. God, I mean, think about our food. We don't deserve the next meal. And the only reason we have it is because He's such a merciful God, a gracious provider. 
We are dependent upon God for all that we have. You see, it's, it's in God's holy law that we see our need for mercy, right? God demands perfection. When Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, He meant it. That's the standard. We're to be perfect. People are walking around with this, with this idea that they're, they're going to be good enough in the end. And God's going to have a balancing scale. No, the standard is perfection. It's God's law that shows it. If you've told a lie, guilty, not perfect. Right? If we've ever stolen anything, guilty, not perfect. If we've ever loved anything above God, guilty, not perfect. We need mercy. If we've ever looked with lust, guilty, we've fallen short. Transgressors of the law. If we've ever used His name in vain, we are guilty. The law shows us our need for mercy. And that's why we need a substitute. The standard doesn't change. God provided a substitute who was what? Perfect. He was perfect in the place of sinners. He was perfect in the place of sinners. And it's at the cross where we receive this mercy. Where that perfection of our substitute can be given to us. The standard doesn't change. It's perfection. It's only because of the mercy of God and the grace of God where we can receive this perfect righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. We cry out to Him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And He is. He is merciful to sinners. The risen Christ who has defeated death has now saved us given us His mercy, and now what is He calling us to? Be merciful to others. Love others the way that I have loved you. This is what we're called to, guys. God offers His enemies mercy. This is the heart of the Gospel. This is it right here. God has come to this earth. Christ has come to this earth to die for sinners, to offer mercy for rebels. And as recipients of that mercy, you and I here today, church, as recipients of that mercy, we should be the first to extend mercy to those who don't deserve it. Amen? Amen. That's what He's calling us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your mercy. God, that's the whole point of mercy. We don't deserve it. Thank You for not giving us what we do deserve, Lord. Oh, Father, these are, these are impossible commands that You give us in our flesh. These are impossible commands for the world. Lord, it shows us how much we need a Savior. And Father, You have saved us. You have, you have been merciful to us. You have given us Your blessed Spirit. You have given us a new heart. We, are, we understand mercy. Because we are recipients, Father, help us. Oh God, help us to love like You've called us to love, Lord. To demonstrate our love for You, Lord. And so that it would bring shame on this world, Lord. Those who... That they would be shame in the heart for the way they have treated... Not us, but the way they've treated You. God, as they see Your love displayed on the cross. As they see Your patience with them as they understand by Your Spirit, by Your Word, how guilty they are. 
and they see what they deserve, but that you offer them mercy, God. May you use us as vessels for that, Lord, just in a small way. Father, seal this to our hearts, God, this practical message from your word that applies to our lives every day as we rub shoulders with people in this world that aren't always the friendliest. Father, help us to love those who mistreat us. God, we ask it by your grace and your power alone, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.